0: Thank you for downloading the PLOD podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d solicitors.com.
1: In May this year, the National Police Chiefs Council updated their operational guidance, which reinforces pre-charge bail as a tool in investigating crime and protecting the public. I'm Daniel Burke, and here to discuss this with me is Elliot Gold, a barrister from Sargentson Chambers. Who, so, Elliot, what caused the police to issue this new guidance? Well, the
2: Policing and Crime Act 2017 introduced the new concept of being released under investigation. It used to be that where the police arrested and questioned someone, they could either charge the person with the offence, either charge them or administer a caution, they could release them on police bail, or they could release them with no further action to be taken. Where there was an ongoing investigation, a person would usually be released on police bail with conditions to return on a particular date, we saw that with a number of the high profile investigations that fell within Operation U Tree, persons were being released on bail for months and sometimes for periods of over a year. And as a result of that, it was argued there'd be a limit to the amount of time that a person could remain on bail of 28 days, which is now the new limit for a person to remain on police bail, subject to extension for
1: up to three months. Now, this was, uh, I think, brought in, as you mentioned, some high profile cases such as Paul Gambaccini and Nigel Evans, who were both. On bail for over a year. Then at the time, the then Home Secretary Amber Rudd uh, recognized that pre-charged bail was a useful and necessary tool, but it was being imposed for months or years without judicial oversight. So this this 28-day rule was brought in really as a result of that. But one concern that that struck me as a, a solicitor was that the police would be able to certainly investigate certain types of cases within 28 days and perhaps uh, trickier ones within three months. But for historic sex allegations or a complicated fraud, it just wouldn't be feasible. So under the new guidance, this would allow police officers to make a decision at the beginning that if they didn't think it was going to be possible, they would just release somebody under investigation. Do you think that strikes the balance the Home Secretary was after?
2: Well, it depends, possibly, but there's always the law of unintended consequences. The primary intention is that investigations be completed so far as possible within the first period of detention, as you've said, and that would also have been the case previously. Custody sergeants would have had to have determined whether conditions for releasing a personal bail were met, But for more complicated investigations, that simply won't be possible. And in most of those instances, a person will now be released under investigation. And we might come to this in a moment. There still remains the option of releasing a person on police bail, on pre charge bail, whether that's for the purpose of the investigation or for the Crown Prosecution Service to make a charging decision. But now following the In custody investigation process, the investigating officer will now have to consult with a custody officer to determine whether a person should be released on bail or whether they should be released under investigation. And that will require the performance of risk assessments to ensure that in cases concerning vulnerable complainants or witnesses, proper protections can be put in place that take account of their
1: requirements and needs. Her Majesty's Inspectorate of uh, Constabulary and uh, Fire Services carried out a review of bail use. Now, they found out in the six months following the introduction of the 17 Act, the use of bail fell by 75% and 65% in domestic abuse cases. So, based on those two figures, it seems to me we either had too many people on bail previously, or it's now been taken to the other end of the spectrum and not enough people are on bail because there is a presumption, I understand, in favour of being released under investigation. So what concerns should police officers have, especially custody sergeants and reviewing officers, to make sure it's being used appropriately? Well, it's
2: right that Her Majesty's inspectorate did review the use of police bail, And what they found was that in the six months following the new provisions in the Policing and Crime Act, the use of bail fell by 75%. And the most concerning part is that it fell by 65% in domestic abuse cases. The falling of bail by 75% is no surprise because the presumption is to release under investigation. And so the use of police bail naturally would fall. But there may be a concern, and in fact there is a concern, which is why new guidance has been released, that proper consideration to releasing persons on bail and bail conditions where vulnerable adults are required is perhaps not being given sufficient uh, care or consideration. The intention, of course, is to ensure that people don't remain subject to police bail conditions for months and possibly for years. And certainly the new process of releasing a person under investigation does achieve that, or rather it achieves them not being on conditions for such a long period of time. But what that, of course, does mean is that people may be released under investigation where either they or potentially vulnerable complainants may be waiting a considerable period to know what's happening with the investigation and potentially without specific protections that bail conditions provided
1: because the protections are then effectively taken away from the complainants in the cases. They don't have the protections, uh, for example, of a suspect not being able to contact them. Now, in my experience, the police still won't tolerate any improper behaviour by a suspect, and warnings will be received, but it may not as quickly lead to somebody being remanded in custody for breach of conditions as it would under bail conditions.
2: Yes, well, I think that's undoubtedly right. When a person is now released under investigation, a custody officer must make it explicit to them that there remain the offences of witness intimidation, of perverting the course of justice, or of harassment, and that they will be liable to arrest if they commit such offences against either complainants or witnesses in the case. But it is I think fair to say that the police may be more reluctant to launch fresh investigations into what are fresh criminal matters, rather than deal with what previously would have been breaches of bail. And that may be the reason why the National Police Chiefs Council have released the new operational guidance, the purpose of which is to reinforce that bail will be legitimate and a proper safeguarding tool in certain circumstances.
1: So, Elliot, in what circumstances under this guidance should police bail be used instead of somebody being released under investigation?
2: There are three main instances where bail may be necessary. The first will likely be to prevent that person from failing to surrender to custody or committing further offences. The second, which is probably the one of most interest will be to prevent that person from interfering with witnesses or otherwise obstructing the course of justice, whether in relation to themselves or any other person. And the third will be for that person's own protection, if they're, for instance, a child or a young person, if it's necessary for their own welfare or their own interests. And the guidance repeats that if bail is to be imposed and conditions are to be imposed, they should be limited to the minimum of what's required to achieve a legitimate policing purpose, what lawyers would say are proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim. One has to work out what is the legitimate aim to be achieved, and that may be the protection of vulnerable persons in, for instance, a domestic violence setting or a sexual offences setting, and then work out what would be
1: proportionate
2: in order to achieve that.
1: So let's look at that through the lens of vulnerable adults or children. What would this mean for an investigation involving vulnerable people?
2: Well, where the police are dealing with a matter concerning vulnerable people, then they'll have to give proper consideration as to whether release on bail is the most appropriate and necessary option. And so before a person, such a person is released and potentially released under investigation rather than on bail that decision will have to be recorded in writing documented together with the reason or the rationale for why pre-charge bail hasn't been used and that bail conditions to protect complainants or witnesses has not been thought necessary that responsibility will usually be of the custody sergeant as part of that process the custody sergeant should consult the detective inspector and they can, if appropriate, record the observations of the detective inspector, either on the custody record or the investigation log. And it may also be that the investigating officer can assist in the completion of those assessments.
1: If an assessment is dreadfully wrong, what sort of liability would this create?
2: Well, that may depend upon what inevitably flows from that for instance, if it is an incorrect assessment and a person goes on to commit further offences, that could potentially give rise to a liability under, say, Article 3 or potentially Article 2 of the Human Rights Act. You'll be aware, of course, that in matters of negligence, the police aren't liable for decisions that they make in terms of their investigations. And that's likely also to apply to this. But in terms of the human rights element, where the police make what would have to be a pretty egregious error, and from that egregious error, persons come to harm, either by way of their life or alternatively, where they're subjected to humiliating or degrading treatment, then there may be some degree of liability that attaches to the police. That isn't new. That applies to investigations generally. And really is the direction of travel, which is for the police to be more accountable than they have been previously in the courts and in
1: cases. So what protections do remain for vulnerable people where the suspect hasn't been released on bail and they've been released under investigation?
2: Where an investigated person is released under investigation rather than subject to police bail and consequent conditions, they should be told that they may be invited to attend interviews on a voluntary basis, but that if they refuse to cooperate or if they commit further offences once released, they risk being rearrested. They'll also be told that they are to inform the police of any change to their address or contact details, such as telephone numbers. And as we touched on before, the custody officer should make clear to persons released under investigation that there remain the offences of witness intimidation, perverting the course of justice or harassment for which they can be arrested. And further to that, good practice for releasing a person under investigation is that investigations be reviewed at least every 30 days until the investigation has been completed and a disposal actions. At each review, The investigating officer must ensure that the complainant, the suspect, or their lawyers be provided with an update as to progress. There should be subsequent reviews by an inspector at three months and a superintendent at six months. And all of that is to ensure that there isn't a situation, as we've seen previously, of investigations being dragged on for many months to the detriment of both the person investigated and complainants or witnesses and that should also be an opportunity for those who are complainants or witnesses to raise with the police any concerns that they have, either in relation to the investigation or the person being investigated.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Elliot. And if anyone listening wants to uh, read the guidance, it's available on ukpolicelawblog.com, uh, together with a number of blogs that Elliot's written. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts. Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.